This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. vacation jeff hawkins chris novembrino <laughs> i i uh, i uploaded the show for last week and i i took a big sigh and i went thank goodness nothing big happened while we were gone and then 15 minutes later bray white was fired so <laughs> we'll get into that in a bit i want to start off with a uh oh the inner child of jeff hawkins was made a little bit happy this week in wrestling chris I watched AEW Dark Elevation from Charlotte. David Crockett did play-by-play for a match with Eddie Kingston on color commentary. And look, I, in my childhood, look, David Crockett is not a great play-by-play guy. He is not. He is a great presence on wrestling and for wrestling, even though he hasn't done it in a while because the thing about david crockett was you know you had your elder statesmen slash people who were like your uncle like uh bob coddle and lance um memphis guy lance help me out here chris can you remember lance russell lance russell thank you i've already started forgetting names right after we get on the air this is not bode well but uh, lance russell David Crockett was basically just telling the fans how they should act around about the baby faces and the heels. Cause he had, he had no compuncture about rooting for baby faces and trolling heels in his intros and things like that. And it was vintage 1985 David Crockett on this. Cause all he was saying was, look at it, look at him, look at it. <laughs> Here he goes. And it was great and awesome, and it and it made me very very happy, Chris. Yeah, look, uh, David Crockett in the day was really. Uh, I mean, I didn't think of him as a positive on any of those broadcasts. <laughs> uh, you and he, the internet. Was, yeah, right. No, I mean, like, look, uh, I I just uh, I I get. It's good to have energy. For my money, Don West was always uh, in that template, much better at that guy who's just way too excited to be there. Um, but maybe you can't have a Don West without a Dave Crockett. So, uh, you know, good on him. Now we get to the sad news from overnight. Uh, rest in peace, Bobby Eaton. Favorite of Shake Them Ropes here. Passed away at the age of 62. Uh, I go out on a limb and say one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. There, and I don't think I'd be, uh, I don't think anybody would fight me on that. Um, I got into Bobby Eaton. Who, who is better than Bobby Eaton? Arn may be on that list because he had a number of, uh, he had a number of tag teams that were good. There, there are guys that, you know, it depends on long how you 
how you view it, but I, I mean, in terms of just being the solid guy on a team, R- Ricky Morton, Ricky Morton, Ricky I Morton. think, yeah, yeah. I, okay, that that would be maybe be a fair comp, but like, I all, I would then go, I'll go one step further. I think Bobby Eaton's a better wrestler than Ricky Morton. I would disagree. Um, Bobby Fulton might be on my list too. Um, from his tag teams, you know, maybe, maybe Dan Crawford. Uh, you know, guys like that, but, but, but here's my point with this before you even get into it, you really have to search to even come up with a better tag team specialist wrestler than Bobby Eaton. Because Bobby Eaton was the core of both iterations of the Midnight Express, really the engine that made it work. Yes, lover boy Dennis Condry helped kind of foster, you know, develop Eaton. But once Eaton was like fully developed, which was fairly early on in his career, um, Stan Lane was a nice to have, but the Midnight Express could have rolled on in many other iterations so long as you had Cornette and Bobby Eaton. Bobby Eaton was the glue of that team, as much as I like Stan Lane. Yeah, well, I mean, um, let me let me list off some of these teams before I even go into the bio that, that I have. I mean, you had him in both iterations of the Midnight Express. In Memphis, he teamed with Coco Ware, who was Sweet Brown Sugar at the time. We got to see some of that when we were watching uh, our Jerry Lawler, um, Andy Kaufman flashback. We were watching old Memphis. <laughs> There's young, like, 18-year-old Bobby Eaton with the first family, which is great. Uh, as part of the Dangerous Alliance tag team there with Arn Anderson, which is pretty great. Uh, tagged the Blue Bloods with both Stephen Regal and um, uh, uh, Squire Dave, Dave Taylor. Taylor. Squire Dave Taylor, thank you very much. Uh, he went over to Smoky Mountain for a short period and teamed with Stan Lane and Tom Pritchard there as part of Coronet's family. That was pretty good. Yeah, just, you know... Solid, solid guy. Oh, and uh, d- did he have a team with uh, was it Steve Kern? Was that bad attitude? Was that was was that Steve Kern and 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 Bobby Eaton? I'm trying to remember that. I'll I'll Google that in a sec. Yeah, I I, I don't know, but I mean, like, so focusing on the Midnight's. Uh, I mean, the Midnight's are what made the Rock and Roll Express the Rock yeah. and Roll Express. So I, I mean. You know, as we talk about Ricky Morton, like, yeah, you know, they, of course, feuded with other teams, but the Midnight Express was necessary for the Rock and Roll Express to get over because the Road Warriors working yes. with the Rock and Roll Express, for any number of reasons, would not have worked. The Road Warriors were too cool. Hawk and Animal, the actual individuals, were not going to be giving in the same way that the Midnight Express was. Um, you needed to have a really strong promo getting all of the story across with the rock and roll because the rock and roll guys were not strong promos and Eaton was not a strong promo and Stan Lane (laughs) yeah had an okay announcer voice but was not actually a good promo so you needed Cornette was the glue and Ellering would not have been a sub like you needed to have the Midnight Express and the Midnight Express's style of match for the rock and rolls to be the rock and rolls um and dude I mean he I really, as I'm sitting here and thinking about it, he might be the best American tag team wrestler. I would not disagree with that. Um, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> it's funny you brought it up first. 
Yeah, Bobby Eaton will never be a charisma machine. That wasn't his gimmick. He wasn't a body guy. He wasn't a charisma machine. But damn, could he sell. Damn, could he feed for a baby face like a Ricky Morton on a comeback. And damn, could he do high spots off the top rope. The knee drop off the top and, and keep people safe. The the other part of that, the leg, his leg drop next to Seacosis is my favorite leg drop ever off the top rope. I can't, I mean, Seacosis him, maybe X-Pac is in that discussion, but Bobby Eaton is in that discussion. The knee drop off the top, vicious. When he was doing squash matches, he looked like a killer in there, and that's all you really needed, When when especially with Condry. With, with Lane, it was more of a finesse team, I think, at times. And I don't get me wrong, I love the Lane, I love the Lane Eaton Midnight Express. But as I've done rewatches now, I have like a 20 disc set of Midnight Express overall. I veered towards the Condry Eaton version because it's a little more gritty. Uh, you know, Stan Lane is flashy. He br- he brought the good looks. He brought the charm and stuff. Dennis Kanji was just scuzzy, but Bobby Eaton's the rock of those two teams right there. I mean, he's he's nondescript. If I were asked to describe him, he's nondescript, but you watch him and he does everything so technically well. Like, I rewatched Flair and Eaton from Clash 15, where he had his one world title match, and it was awesome. Like, Bobby Eaton's punches are second only to Jerry Lawler to me in wrestling history. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the I, thing for, for for me with Eaton, right? Like, it's that he had the high spots. He had two excellent, excellent, excellent high spots. The, the knee drop, I almost think I like more than the leg drop. And the leg drop's really impressive. But the knee drop... And especially now with like kind of like a better watchful eye on this, how I'm able to watch him give on the ankle on the landing foot just enough to make the actual like bent leg look like it's smushing into something, but it's like compressing it. I mean, dude, it's masterful how he figured out how to do this in a way that looks very, very, very convincing, especially done quickly. Um, Like at, at speed, you can't even catch it, but you work backwards from there. It wasn't just purely high spots. Yeah, he could throw drop kicks, but he also had interesting suplexes, off the rope sort of slingshotty sort of suplexes. He was comfortable working on the ground and he could throw a good drop kick, a good standing drop kick, and just to wind it all the way back, the most basic thing in the world, the punch. Dude, his punches meant something. Um, they, they, they looked mean and it worked well when he was a heel, because commentary could sell it, you know, Eaton can change things with one punch and like maybe cast that punch as a sunker punch. And you knew that Eaton's punch actually had some reputation to it. But also when he was fighting back and he was working as a baby face, same thing. When he's throwing those punches around, you get into it because you know those punches mean something. Oh yeah, definitely. And look, for, for all the knocks against his charisma let's let's mention two things one on stage and one off stage on stage he cut interesting promos at times like when he was a baby face and he got jumped by the horseman before tully and arn went to wwf he (laughs) the makeup he had was ridiculous don't get me wrong it looked like somebody drew a red splotch on his cheek 
with a red marker. It, it, it's ridiculous. I've made fun of it on this show before. But he cut a very fiery babyface promo, and it worked because he never talked all that much. That and, look, he may not have been the most charismatic guy on camera, but reading through the tributes, and you never speak ill of the dead, but I never heard a bad story about Bobby Eaton ever. I never heard of... You know, there are guys who have bad days and you run it like like no one's ever going to, you know, people are going to have negative stories about me. People are going to have negative stories about, say, even an Arn Anderson being cranky or crabby. And, and, and certainly about me. Yeah. Nobody ever, I mean, nobody, I had never heard a negative story about Bobby Eaton. Just always pros pro, comes in, does a great family man. Never heard of him getting drunk and doing something stupid all that much. Just really kind of kept to himself and kind of shy. And I appreciate that. And the other thing I appreciate for me in my fandom growing up is he went everywhere because WCW would often loan him out or cut him because he didn't. Once Cornette kind of left him there to fight on his own. And after the dangerous Alliance and Paul E got out there, I think, they just didn't understand him. And this kind of goes into the charisma thing. Those blue blood sketches. He ain't the most charismatic fellow in the world, but those are fantastic because he ain't the most charismatic fellow in the world. He is uncouth. He is from Huntsville, Alabama. And you, you know, it's funny to juxtapose those to the uh, Io Shirai oh. and Zoe Stark, where comparatively, go and watch the blue one. Those things are actually tasteful in comparison because among other things, Regal looking down on culture is being done from this heelish thing and Eaton's like earnest blue bloodedness or whatever. I don't, dude, I, I mean, they're funny in and of themselves, but uh, yeah, they're fun to think on, especially in this moment. Um, the, sorry to cut you off, but there's one other thing about Eden I always think about. Um, like, I, I, you always hear the stories about him on the road and how he just seemed like a really cool guy to know. Uh, I was always struck by these stories about how Bobby Eaton always had everything in his suitcase. Everything from, like, Tylenol to med wraps. Like, if you needed something, you could go to Bobby Eaton and get it because he would just buy everything and have it on hand. And uh, several years ago when I was managing um, a a singer-songwriter guy, um, he was not organized, um, as many musicians aren't. And uh, I needed to, this this particular individual needed a lot of organizational help. So I took a page out of Bobby Eaton's playbook, and I actually told him the story about Eaton and his suitcase, and I made made my musician a bucket um, with all of the things that he needed from the for the gig, everything from off uh, in case the gig was outside to extra patch cables to an extension cord, and it was all in this nice little bucket form. And that was uh, that was my Bobby Eaton bucket. I hate to say this, but that was me also on the road, especially before I started drinking at all. When I was still basically straight edge, I basically well not straight edge, but I just I did not drink in my early twenties. And so I was always the person taking care of the drunks. I had Tylenol. I had Pedialyte. Hey, I got a rubber if you need it. You know, I, <laughs> that was me, you know, kind of being the den mother. But uh, to the point I was going to make is in my fandom, Eaton kind of appeared everywhere also. I mean, it was he was in WCW. 
Uh, he did the Smoky Mountain Run for a while. He, both he and Arn Anderson went there, and and the three-way feud between Camp Coronet, which was the heavenly bodies of Pritchard and Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton, were feuding with the stud stable of Ron Fuller, Jimmy Golden, and Dutch Mantel. And then the Rock and Roll Express, in, in a great Southern angle, bring in their surprise uh, partner, which is Arn Anderson. Understand, Arn cut some great promos about Bobby uh, in, in that program. Also, Arn and Bobby loaned out to ECW for one night uh, due to the uh, settlement from, U- from WCW using Win Worlds Collide, which was originally an ECW package. By the way, your cat is in the pot. Um, <laughs> uh, so you had a tag. It's an interesting one-off tag match, but it was obvious the WCW guys and the ECW guys were going to work together, but it's Arn Anderson and Terry Funk taking on Sabu, and Bobby Eaton, which sounds like an awesome team to me. I always wanted to see Eaton and Psychosis team up just to have the dual leg drops. But as for matches to seek out, dude, anything the Midnights and the Rock and Roll Express or the Fantastics did is going to be awesome sauce. Uh, the the singles match between Eaton and, and Flair at Clash 15 again. The cat just wants to be cooked. Um, for those watching on, two, on the two YouTube. Two separate pots he's in. Two separate pots, Hawkins. Not one, <laughs> but two. Um, I, I particularly like the Fantastics versus the Midnights from Clash 1. I think that's a great little match there. Uh, let's see. Other other Midnight Express matches or Bobby Eaton match. Oh, the, the Eaton-Anderson tag team versus any iteration of Steamboat. Dustin Rhodes, Barry Windham, those kinds of guys, circa 91, 92. Pretty damn great. Uh, yeah, if you got some time this weekend, you got the Peacock or you got the YouTube, look up some uh, Midnight Express matches and and just uh You, you basically enjoy. can't miss. Um, Just to kind of build on Jeff, they're the obvious recommendations of go and watch some Midnight Express matches because they're so fun. And if you can watch, like, the builds to them with, like, Cornette really sort of, like, you know, just paving the way. Like, it, he's an important flavor with the Eaton thing. Um, and those like singles matches and enhancement matches are a lot of fun. But the other thing I'd recommend is like what I used to do for fun back when I was working at NCI, which is I would just look up random Bobby Eaton matches. Like there's a match that Eaton has with Ray Mysterio in 1996 oh, the Nitro, or so. The Nitro stuff. Yeah. I forgot all about. Yeah. But yeah. No, he's on those early Nitros in about 96. I think he hangs. He may hang around the company until they close in 2000, but he's not doing a lot other than like Saturday nights. And here's something I didn't know in doing research. I remember, I think they did a tryout when when Cornette and the Midnight's left for a bit. They did a tryout with the WWF that didn't go well. But I do know for a fact that in 2001 he was signed by the WWF to help train people. And and I remember I, I I had forgotten all about that, but yeah, no, he uh he was part of those early fun nitros where it was just all the generations mixing and like the the what is it the uh 
Meng and the Barbarian were like fighting the Rock and Roll Express one week, the Fantastics the next, and then in a, and then like Ricky Morton and Bobby Fulton or Tommy Rogers in a joint tag team. It, it's just it's a weird those '96 Nitros before the NWO and Hogan and Hogan this Hogan that Hogan 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 are, are a lot of fun, especially those first hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, I, I really enjoy all the Saturday night offerings, not because they're like five-star matches or whatever, but Eaton, among his other great things, we talked about like the diversity and the range of his moveset. This is not a five moves of doom guy. This is nope. a guy who had like a complete 40-minute match in him. And he was really good because he's so giving, and I think because he spent so much time as as like a heel so having to give to the baby face he's really good at reading the other person he's working with so adapting to different styles and like I, I mean i think you'll just see it's a real treat to watch him adapt his bobby eaton style to whoever he's wrestling and he does it so well he does it as well as anyone uh, i mean absolute hall of famer like i i mean like way to bring us back to what we started this convo with if you're trying to come up with a better tag team wrestler who's like a tag team specialist not a single star who was put into a tag team right like you know like rick flair was many tag teams um but you're you're basically hard pressed to come up with a better guy than bobby eaton also passing away this week jody hamilton of the assassins now admittedly jody hamilton's wrestling career uh was just ending in the nwa as i was starting but i have now because i've been on a mid-south old mid-south which i believe are on peacock currently kick watching this guy do promos and at first i didn't like them but now i think he's one of the best promo guys i've ever seen um his his promo style is very to the point he always brought his gimmick into it where i have to wear this mask otherwise people won't book me type of things which i always found kind of cool they were intelligent promos that's what especially when he's like doing he's doing promos with mr wrestling too who's also wearing a mask and he's explaining why his reason for wearing a mask is better than mr wrestling twos wearing wearing a mask type of thing and you watch them and you go oh man he's great now look he was out of shape by the time his career ended and he was even more out of shape when they brought him back in as an agent slash manager circa 92 93 if you're in your late 30s and above you might remember him his that run in wcw he was the manager of pretty wonderful paul orndorff and paul roma if you remember that and yeah, Chris is digging in his brain to to think about that. That, that didn't, didn't last well. long, did it? it? And it and it didn't end well either. No, it wasn't very good. I mean, he looked like he ate the other assassin at the point. He couldn't fit into his mask. Looked kind of bad. But he is very important to the history of of wrestling in this respect, especially the Monday Night Wars. And I'll tell you why. His training facility is the one that eventually got turned into the power plant for WCW. And one of his key pupils was one Diamond Dallas Page, who is a success story in wrestling. No matter how you put it, 
especially at an advanced age. Also Goldberg. Also, you know, there was a lot of talent that came out of that power plant that was put onto Nitro probably a little bit too quickly, but was very important in the Monday Night Wars. Um, also, connection just, just for real those... quickly on the DDP oh, thing, just to put the DDP success story into context, DDP and Bobby Eaton are approximately the same age. Yes. Like, yeah. And, so, so like, and, and as DDP was is on his for... rise, Bobby mm-hmm. Eaton is winding things up. So that's yes. how improbable DDP success story and, is. And, and Bobby Eaton started wrestling because his dad was in the business at the age of 17 or 16 or 17. So he was wrestling a good 20 years before DDP, well, ever became an active performer. DDP was a manager in the late 80s in the AWA. And he had like uh, a brief run as yeah yeah this this he was on WCW briefly yes, in the early nineties. Yes. Uh, Jody Hamilton also reopened Deep South for WWE, so he was a trainer for that. And also, in case you didn't know, in case you're not that tuned into it, one Nick Patrick, the referee, real name Jody Hamilton Jr. He is he is Nick he is the son. Or Jody Hamilton, yeah. He is the son of the original assassin. So if you did not know that, I'm kind of a Nick Patrick fan. I gotta admit, it hit my heart. I, I just got so sick of those angles that like ruined my childhood. There was so much Nick Patrick angles yes. on my TV yes, back when. Yeah, him and, him and Charles Robinson were a bit much, and I, I'm starting. I, I'm I'm waiting for the eventual Aubrey angle in AEW. <laughs> um, uh, and, yes, and I'm sorry, heel Nick Patrick was not good. No, it wasn't. The, the heel ref was was dreadful, but he did a lot with it. I mean, he was doing that. His performance was good. The booking was dreadful. So rest uh, in I'll, I'll grant that. Growing out the facial hair and being really <laughs> yeah, like like the really scuzzy looking referee, like we got him, you know, out back by the airport. The mask. He really had a mask for a while as the NWO ref, and it was obviously Nick Patrick. Everybody knew who that was. But rest in peace to both Bobby Eaton and. Jody Hamilton, speaking of AEW, kids, it's time. Chris and I have been watching and waiting. Fourth week in a row, they hit over a million viewers. While we were gone, the WWE had a quarter two call, and on that same day, I believe the United Center sold out in about 17 minutes for Rampage without having a card announced. But it's been very hinted at on AEW that one Charles Montgomery punk chick magnet punk old Mr. Phil Brooks old cranky pants on Twitter himself gonna be on this card in Chicago the United Center is a big deal the United Center is the first major arena that AEW has sold out don't get me wrong they've gone to big cities but they've always kind of gone to secondary arenas when, when they ran is, here in Texas, they were in Garland. They weren't. They weren't at the American Airlines Center. Correct. And yeah, they yeah. They, and when they were in Austin, they weren't at U University of Texas. They were in some other arena in North Austin, I believe. When they came to L.A., they were in Ontario. They weren't in. They weren't in Staples. When they go to Illinois, they're in the uh, Rosemont Horizon or the UIC Pavilion, I believe. United Center is a big deal. Chicago's been flooded with wrestling of late. I think this is going to be like the fourth card in four months, considering Raw was just there this past week or two weeks ago. You're going to have two cards or three cards for AEW uh, 
Labor Day weekend, and you have this one in between. It's a big effing deal. And, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, we don't view them as competition. Got news for you, kids. Got news for you, Vinny. Got news for you, Vince. It's now a competition. AEW is about to have two broadcast shows on major cable networks. They have two YouTube shows on networks. They are signing a lot of people, and they are going for broke here. I have concerns about the roster expansion in many ways because I think I don't know if their strategy is to oversaturate the market or oversaturate wrestling fans time by saying you don't need to spend time with anything sports entertainment anymore. You can come here, get that much wrestling and you don't necessarily have to watch it all, but I'm going to tell you something else. NXT was bad this week. It was terrible in many respects because it was, it was pure sports entertainment with yellow ropes. The charm is gone. There are people with contracts coming up and we'll get to that in a second as well. That could be game changers for AEW. Help Brian Danielson and CM Punk are going to get people excited when they debut. They're going to get the mainstream media. It's a war now and don't look now, but <laughs> dynamite increasing in the 1849 demo it's creeping up on raw numbers we're getting there and the moment that they win a week they they're not gonna be head to head don't get me wrong they're never gonna be head to head but it's gonna matter and i don't see wwe doing anything other than killing killing the brand that had charm in nxt both on the actual show and how they're using guys like Keith Lee and Karrion Cross and guys like that. But this doesn't feel like a hot product. It doesn't feel like they're building feuds. It feels like they're just going to kind of rest on we're the brand. This is what people like. We have fans who like what they like. We're going to be McDonald's. We're just going to give the people what they expect out of a WWE product and we're not going to shake anything out. Out of all that, Chris, I have ranted now. United Center, rosters, the Q2 call, anything you'd like to comment on. Absolutely. So looking at the ratings numbers this week, once again, AEW breaking a million in in a clear and decisive way. And one million, as you and I sat and talked, I don't know, 18 months ago, was always going to be the deciding line. Like, can this product get over a million viewers? Um, it was important to me because if you're really going to say you're competing against Raw and not just competing against the head-to-head competition, which was NXT, which was an increasingly bad iteration of NXT, you needed to have something that showed that you are really blowing NXT out of the water. A million's important. Uh, a- AEW is now breaking that on a reliable basis. Uh, the demo stuff at that point now becomes increasingly relevant, even more relevant. Uh, some people might say I was being under or underweighting it up till now, but I mean, I think now that you have a similar amount of sample and you can look at, okay, there are 2 million shares. How much of the coveted demo is in each million share? We're now talking about like 
the diff like meaningful differences it's not just percentages it's literally tens of thousands of people that make that make up a difference in terms of advertisement um in terms of momentum aew continues to gain in ratings while raw continues to arc in the wrong direction uh that momentum is bad uh, and as we've been watching this new for foray into you know, live events and everything like that. It's particularly in June and July here. Um, there might be some headwinds uh, because of what is happening with the pandemic coming up in fall. And if things needed to shut back down again, like if they needed to stop action, let's say sometime at the end of September, that would be not good for WWE because WWE has not been lighting the world on fire with hot angles. The shows that they've been running have been very by the numbers. People aren't excited. AEW will have gained momentum during let's call this wrestling season. And if we had to shut back down into like, I guess off season again, it wouldn't be, it would be a slow attritional bleed away from WWE and a slow continual gain by AEW. That is only going to ramp up further when CM Punk and Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson are back and doing big angles. Um, to your in terms of concerns, I share some concerns about the roster expansion because to me, the most obvious answer here of how do you optimize the roster at this point, it's to get some of these vice presidents out of the main event to clear way for the big new acquisitions of CM Punk and Daniel Bryan. I'd be trying to move as much of this show through those guys, Darby Allen and Adam Page, as I possibly could. Um, I might even try to book like a super angle where those four guys have to go up against the elite. Um, but but I would make I would be trying to reorient this roster around your two big signees because uh, you got the vice presidents. The vice presidents are the vice presidents, and they really there at this point need to be in a caretaker status. I'd get the belt off Omega. Um, if you're going to get that on to Adam Page, get it on to Adam Page. If you want to put it on a Punk and have Punk turn heel on Adam Page, that could be really fun. Um, like, there's any number, there's any number of different angles here, but I'd be, I'd be trying to get the story to move through them. Um, in terms of, I, I just keep going back to what is the reason one would keep watching WWE if they weren't like a reviewer of WWE right now. What angle would be keeping me in on this? Would it be the Drew McIntyre angle? Do I really care about Bobby Lashley and Bill Goldberg, who is just here? Like, I'm not into Bobby Lashley because he's a heel. Um, also, he's like not that interesting. You know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're, no, you're looking at this wrong, though, Chris, just a little bit. Because people who watch WWE are not wrestling fans. The people who like WWE like the WWE style. They like the goofy sketches. They like sitting in the crowd and singing along with, you know, <laughs> the New Age Outlaws or The Rock or Enzo and Cass and doing the catchphrases. It's a, it's an interactive experience more than it's about the wrestling a lot of times. But, but I think it's show. still enough about the wrestling for enough of the fans that WWE's Raw could settle in at 900,000. Uh, I mean, I, I think, look, within 52 weeks, we see Raw under a million. I, I think, yeah. And, and I, I think you will find real quickly how many of these wrestling fans 
are actually wrestling fans who have been watching WWE versus WWE fans who are just pure WWE fans. And I, I mean, I, look, uh, do I think there will still be the, you know, the the loyal WWE for lifers, the guy holding up the sign, and you know, like it, that, it, all, all that sort of stuff? Absolutely. <laughs> Hold on, the people in my mentions from time to time when I go after them, you don't see this. Oh, I've had them jumping down my throat this week, Chris. Why? I is it me? Uh, me again? No, no, no. I, I, I forget the comment I made, but it was just oh, oh, I made a comment um about some somebody some WWE guy goes. You know the real difference between the two companies is that Tony Khan is just using his daddy's money. Vince is a self-made man. Vince McMahon Jr. The first photo. In the intro to WWE is his old man. And you're telling me that he's a Horatio Alger type, Mr. Rags to Riches. Shut up. Um, Tell me more about the 1980s, <laughs> Mr. Historian. I just, I, I could not believe that. But, uh, you know, I, I think... I think he has to do something. I think he has to, and, and you can say it's a different point of view, but I just, this has been the same show for 25 years now. With the same sort of angles, and I get that there's like obviously always going to be repeating of certain types of angles, but mm -hmm. like they tell the same stories the same way over and over and over again. They, 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 don't know how to try something new that kind of gets back you know you mentioned bray wyatt being let go um i mean bray wyatt's a fine example of this now not everything bray wyatt has ever pitched or done has been genius stuff but it's very obvious in the middle of the last decade bray wyatt was trying to pitch stories involving like you know who the Wyatt family was uh who uh sister Abigail was that there might be a reveal of who that sister Abigail was what the Wyatt family's relationship with sister Abigail was going to be like Bray Wyatt had a clear broader story vision and a broader sense of storytelling than WWE's super narrow way of telling stories works but what's gotten worse even over the last 25 years it would be one thing if they're telling stories the same way they were 25 years ago but like 25 years ago the Kane and Undertaker feud uh that built to that not very good Wrestlemania match had lots of twists and turns and zigs and zags and like was a story with like reveals and and like actual like beats of narrative and stuff and now nothing in WWE gets a four-month treatment there are like there is no actual 16 weeks of storytelling sort of thing look at sasha banks return on smackdown she comes back and in one beat we have uh we have bianca belair seeing sasha banks sasha's there she's a little too happy bianca experiences trepidation we don't even get a week to let that marinate before the betrayal um that is a microcosm of wwe storytelling now in the past in the 1990s or in like the late 80s you would have gotten that over four weeks now it's condensed into one week the pay-per-view angles for wrestlemania that should be 16 weeks are condensed down into four weeks in a build up to wrestlemania um it, it, go home shows don't feel like you're going home to anything or or you don't really want to go home to anything like maybe you should just run away and never see mom and dad again uh like th this is 
this show is not a fun watch on a week to week basis. Yeah. And I think they're going to start attacking people like us with that. Criticism is not conversation type thing. They're going to appeal to the hardcores and go with that. So cool. Have fun with your ratings. Get, yeah. Get, get ready for that. Um, speaking of which you just mentioned, yes, Bray Wyatt let go by the WWE last week. Now I haven't asked anybody about this. He's obviously making a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. You can say, okay, <laughs> the PR was that it was budget reasons. He was making a lot of money. He's in the main event feud. That's fine. He also moves a crap ton of merchandise. People love them some Fiend and, and Bray Wyatt merchandise because some of it looks actually cool or wearable outside of a wrestling context. Like, say, at a... At a rock club, if you wore something like that mask fiend shirt, it would fit in mostly, somewhat, maybe. I don't know. Chris is giving me weird looks. I don't know what he's what he's telling me. No, no, I'm nodding along. Um, I mean, okay. like the first thing I, I'm immediately thinking of is I would never let this guy go because if the other company picks him up and gets the licensing rights to his merchandise and he gets to make cool, not WWE logoed merchandise, that stuff's going to sell like hotcakes. Like you're just giving away a real cash cow. Whether or not you, the listener, have a real urgent need to see another Bray Wyatt match, people love the merch. And I think in the right storyline, like if he came back with Malachi Black or if he was in a feud with Darby Allin and Sting, I mean like any number of different things in that AEW universe, those t-shirts are going to sell. It might have been the ledger that it did him in. I'm going to recklessly speculate a little. I'm going, yes, I might, I might get in a little bit of trouble here, Chris. I think Vince McMahon lost faith in Bray Wyatt when he took the mental health break after the death of his friend. <laughs> I'm trying to remember his real name because I keep Brody Lee. Brody Lee, yes. I think. I think the mental health break, look, Vince is a guy that doesn't like softness. He's not a guy that's that's into that thing for his manly men and his manly, I was going to say Luke Harper. That's what I was meaning to say. But, yeah, I think I think that partially, may, it could be a Nick Khan budget decision. Don't get me wrong. It could be. It could be the other thing. I'm just going to recklessly speculate that a guy that moves that much merchandise, you're not looking at the ledger necessarily. You're, you're not looking at, man, how much is this costing us if he's bringing in that much in merch? And, I, I, you know, it's it would be like cutting one of the New Day. That isn't Xavier Woods. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, I actually think cutting Xavier Woods would be a mistake. I do, too. But but it's more of a shock if it's Big E or Kofi. That, that's what I meant um, in, in terms of what they bring to the table. I, okay, so I have an alternate theory, um, okay. but I, I, let me hit you with it. I think that Vince tried out the Fiend stuff with Alexa Bliss, and oh, it's yes. and it's scratching some sort of itch for him in a way yes. that the Bray Wyatt stuff never did, and he was like, well, damn it, why don't we just give the whole thing to her? Like, we don't need Bray Wyatt. And I bet you, here's the other thing, though. Um, Alexa in this fiend iterations actually moving a decent amount of merchandise. 
I, 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 that is my suspicion, but that's also backed up a little bit from my firsthand experience of just seeing people at Raw. The, the little girls are buying the Lily and uh, Alexa Bliss merchandise. They do like yeah, Alexa. No, that, that is a great, great theory as well. And I'll tell you something. If the yes chant had ported over to Alberto Del Rio or Big Show, Daniel Bryan would have been gone from the company a long time ago, probably. So that's also there for the reckless speculation. For more reckless speculation, where does he end up? Or where would you like him to end up? AEW, sure, it's a possibility. I would like him to rebrand himself completely. I would love for him, maybe Rowan, maybe even Braun Strowman, just become a hoss stable that goes from territory to territory, maybe ending up in all Japan and kicking a little ass there and being kind of a little hardcore Stan Hansen types. I'd love that. I'd love them to appear and like they, they do six months of ring in ring of honor. They do six months in the NWA and then they appear in AEW as a faction after having already made the rounds, maybe even six months in impact too. you know, just build who they are now as a kind of a crew and just have them be your new Abdullah, the butcher, you know, mercenary type stable. They're brought in by a manager to take out somebody type of thing. We don't need to keep them long. We have enough. We're going to have enough free agents now where we can cycle people in and out and everybody's going to get paid. So I, I, I'm digging that. I, <laughs> I just, I, it, it's weird. Cause I'm very nervous. Cause I don't know how much outside of WWE system knowledge Bray has. He's the son of Mike Rotundo. Let me put you this way, kids. Mike Rotunda being in the WWE saved him because he was a charisma vacuum. He was always a great wrestler. Varsity Club Mike Rotunda was great. Every other Mike Rotunda was boring as hell. If you ever watched him try and do promos, if you watch him do babyface promos in 1981 or even after the varsity club, he is dull as dirt. And I, there's, there's something about veterans. And then when you're in that WWE system for so long that you think that that is because you've watched it work for so long, you don't know any other way. And my fear is, Look, Cody hasn't quite gotten out of the WWE style yet. He's close. He's done some things outside of the box, but he's implemented the WWE style into that. My fear is Bray doesn't expand his horizons now and it's kind of set in them. That's my fear. So what I I guess I want to see Bray in AEW just because I want to continue to watch Look, if AEW is going to try to take the kill shot at WWE, I want them to go all in on it. Uh, and I think Bray Wyatt could actually be an interesting piece of that puzzle. If you're, if I was going to have him in AEW off the top of my head, I would have him come in as the guy who wants to take over the Dark Order It kind of starts serving as a bit of a character wedge between the Dark Order and Adam Page. And the story essentially is that the Dark Order as a group has actually moved on from Mr. Brody Lee. That like going to Bray Wyatt and succumbing to Bray Wyatt kind of go would be going back for them all as people. And that they have this friend Adam and that there's gotta be tension that Adam Page has to kind of come and save the day or whatever. Um, but like that would sort of be 
my story there. Making the Dark Order dark again. Yes, yeah, he's trying to make him dark. Yeah, make him dark again. But but I okay. I would have it not take in this case. I you know what I'm I'm fine with that 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 that's a perfectly logical story. I'm interested. Seems like a seems kind of like a cool dude. Seems like a creative guy. That's so I'm rooting for him. And also I root for him because of that crappy husky Harris stuff that he had to go through at first, where it's like they give him a fat gimmick right off the bat, and so that makes me angry as hell. And they were doing fat jokes throughout the Bray Wyatt thing. Dude got in shape under that sweater. If you if you look, I mean, he is built now. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Uh, other releases from WWE: Ric Flair, now on the market, friend of Tony Khan. Do we want him in AEW? I don't, because I think Ric Flair. Number one, we've never had a reason to miss him because he's been on TV ever since he quote unquote retired. He's doing a flat-out caricature of himself. I know he needs the money. I, I, I get that. But it's sad watching those Car Shield commercials with 70-something Ric Flair in the robes he wore 30 years ago, as opposed to being a dignified representative of the professional wrestling business. That's the flair I want. And if I can't get that, if I'm just going to get the wooing jackass, God love you, Ric Flair. I love you. Don't get me wrong when I'm saying that. I don't necessarily want him to manage Andrade because I think he'll overshadow him. I think it'll be kind of like what happened with Jake Roberts' first few weeks with Lance Archer, where Jake thought it was him trying to get over, and somebody basically had to pull him aside and go, look, you ain't the star of this act. You're in the background here. I don't see that happening with anybody associated with Ric Flair, and that's a problem. I just don't see any utility to Ric Flair for any company outside of we're doing a big show. We're going to have Ric Flair out here for a belt presentation angle. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever, but if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards... It sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded 
by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, if AEW wanted to do uh, assemble the horseman moment on AEW television, that might have some utility. Right? And kill Sting and kill Sting. That, that would actually that Sting. would be very funny. Is they all invite Sting and St- and then they jump in one last. It's an old man jumping of Sting. Yeah, yeah. Like that would actually, or or Tully at least jokes about jumping Sting and like like proposes it, but then it's like I'm sore. I can't do this. I'm too old. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like uh, but no. Um, I I outside of those things, I don't have any use for him in an angle. It's hard watching him now. I mean, you brought, you call him a caricature, and it's it, that's a good way of putting it. He is basically trying to give you member berries about like the woos, and remember that one. You know, remember that one time. And, it, and if you're f- really familiar with Ric Flair and like all the allness of Ric Flair and all that, like because he was cool sometimes, he was crazy and unhinged sometimes, like like. There was this giant emotional dynamic range with Flair, and like it's all gone. And I, the other thing that's so important with Flair on the on, especially for an advanced age, Flair would be the promos. And he used to have a clear, confident, um, lucid voice, and he has a sloshy voice now. Yes, it's yes. not. It's hard to listen to. And more importantly, it doesn't carry weight. It doesn't have gravitas to it. Um, so, like, I just, I don't, I I feel bad for Flair. I think it's on some level very endearing that he still wants to do other things. And that's, like, why he, you know, actually, originally he said he wanted to do other things. And then we found out he got released. Um, I, I, but I just, I don't see a, a place for him um, at this point uh, other than taking care of himself the one place I could see him possibly helping, but it'd have to be a very special way that he was brought in and booked would be the NWA and trying to bring some eyeballs back to that federation because looks like the NWA is going to be out there because AEW is now trying to be the boat that raises all ships, considering we're going to have Camille and Layla Hirsch for the NWA women's title, which was built on TV on Wednesday. You know, we have the I'll tell you what, t- um, they, def- they've not given a lot of like mic time to Camille. Um, I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with her are going to be really pleasantly surprised with how good of a wrestler she is. Uh, she, she's actually, uh, you, well, you're not, not into Camille. Oh no, 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 no. I, I'm into Camille, but when she came out on TV, 
<laughs> if any scout from WWE was watching that and showed her to Vince, Vince was like, who do I have to fire to get the money to throw at Camille? <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. That like that that this is and what's gonna be funny. I'm sure there's a story where Camille has been pitched to Vince any number of times and he just never got it. And yeah, no. When I saw her get into the ring, I was just like, dude, guys, like this is like, I mean, yeah, she she's uh she's so money. Um, get her and- into AEW, and you know now we got somebody to counteract Jade Cargill, who is floundering with with mark sterling unfortunately but yeah but no the visual of her and layla hirsch is i mean it's just it's wonderful i i i actually yes. hope i hope that this match goes to a non-finish and that this ends up blossoming into a longer term feud i think it's really wise for aew to be talking with nwa because they do need to with with the expanded AEW roster, I think part of a way of kind of keeping people doing stuff is going to be doing a little bit of lending and a little bit of sharing with Impact and with NWA. And New Japan because Shinsuke Nakamura, or not Shinsuke Nakamura, what are you doing, dummy? Shinsuke uh, Nakamura. Hiroshi Tana- no, Hiroshi Tanahashi was on TV last week. And, you know, we ha- we've had Yuji Nagata come over. It's obvious that uh, Mox wants to face somebody. So, yeah, I mean... It looks like AEW is going to kind of be the central place, but they're going to also help any federation that wants to work with them. So I'm kind of cool with all this. Now and so we're so talk- deploying oh, go Flair to NWA, to your point, I think would be really, really clever. Um, because while I don't think Flair necessarily helps draw eyeballs to AEW, I think Ric Flair is good for thirty to 50,000 additional eyeballs onto NWA, which in their world, ratings-wise, is a lot. Like, if he could do a match, which he can't, but 15 years ago, I'd be all over an Aldous Ric Flair trying to bring back prestige to the belt thing. But that's uh, no, And actually, there's a lot of fun with Austin Idol and Ric Flair yelling at each other as old men. Like, I, you know, there, there, there's a little bit of, like, intrigue for that for me. Well, guess what's interesting in the world of professional wrestling? Contracts are almost done for a lot of guys in the WWE who AEW might want. Example, as reported by Wrestling Inc., our friend Raj over there and confirmed by Sean Rossap, Adam Cole's contract has been up, but he offered to extend it through SummerSlam, but he has not signed a long-term deal after that. He might be on the market. Also, Pete Dunne's contract, it was revealed today, is coming up very, very soon. Curiouser and curiouser, Chris. So both of these guys, I think, obviously, the conversation's always like, what will they do in the AEW universe? Because, like, you know, you go, where else will that, which promotion will they go to? As we just ended this last conversation, NWA, Impact, New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's all just this omnibus thing. It's who they get a contract with, but will they be on your AEW television? seems to me to be very likely. And if you're Adam Cole and you've been watching this Karrion Cross thing and you are still having any doubts in your head, surely the Karrion Cross stuff is clarifying. I forgot a part of this story. It was re- revealed by Fightful today. He has been offered main roster money, but as part of that deal, he will be the headliner on Peacock's 205 Live. <laughs> 
to help build that brand. Oh, hell Get no. the hell out of there, Adam Cole. Go, run, oh, run. Cole is, Bro, Cole I is... captioned 205 Live. You got to go. You, you, you know, I, I know more about that show than any other human being in the country. Like, you got to run, Adam. You got to go. Oh, yeah. Cole's boys with the Bucks. Pete Dunn has wrestled PWG with the Bucks. I think, I, you know, I just think anybody who's been in that circle – I think they're not going to say no to after Tommy end is now coming and Tommy end appeared at PWG this past Sunday. And, and I'll go one step further. The match with Cody and Tommy end, I'll just call him Tommy end for this purposes served. Okay. It worked several different audiences. One, it worked the AEW audience, the actual live audience, and it worked the television audience. It made a new star for the AEW universe, but beyond that, and almost more importantly than that, it served as a giant billboard of come to AEW, we won't screw up your debut. Um, like, you, you you saw what they did to Aleister Black on the main roster. Look what we did with Malachi Black on our main roster. And if you're Adam Cole, clarifying moment. Uh, you know, I, I mean, you don't even... When you're watching Malachi Black, you don't even have to think about Karrion Cross to basically be able to mentally juxtapose Karrion Cross and Aleister Black or Malachi Black. I mean, I I just don't know why Dunn or Cole would stay. They've done everything they possibly could in NXT. Being on 205 Live stinks. And on the main roster, we see the toilet bowl sort of swirling booking patterns that were on here. Like, you know, they're never going to be featured. Go and ask Rick O'Shea if you're not sure about that. (laughs) AEW News, Ruby Soho, the former Ruby Riot, rumored to have signed with AEW and possibly debuting at All Out as the wild card in the women's battle royal that's going to start. I think that's a pretty good place for her and she can spread out from there. Our favorite knuckleheads, Chris, 2.0, the former Ever Rise Rules, showing up on good old Dynamite this week, doing their thing, being the knuckleheads that they are, cutting knucklehead promos on, on social media. <laughs> I absolutely adored this match, uh, the, 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 the six-man uh, on the thing, and uh, the kid with them, name... Oh, Daniel Garcia. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, no, no. Great. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, he's he's got it. I enjoyed the little dumb moment with Sting and Rise. I thought just for Darby to come out and kill a fool. You need these knuckleheads in wrestling, and I love these guys. These guys are going to thrive in AEW. The, they they are allowed to stay. What? They're allowed to stay if they're allowed to stay, if they get signed. It looks like people like them. They're going to be on next week as well, backing up Daniel Garcia. Uh, If they're allowed to sign, I think they thrive on a dark or dark elevation where they're not on the main show every week, but they can cut promos and do whatever they're going to do and build. No, no, absolutely. Um, Being on the second tier show would be perfect for them because on a second tier show, they can be in the middle of the card. I think that'll give them a real chance to connect with the audience. They'll have a really strong niche fan base. Uh, you know, like, yeah, no, I, I, I think no, that they're, they're gonna if they can stay, I think they will thrive. I, they're just endlessly entertaining. Like they, they know mm-hmm. how to, they know how to work, and they seem really energized to be there. Like they seem really, oh, really stoked. 
The shouting at Eddie Kingston. I mean, just being loud and obnoxious is enough to get love from that crowd, I think. I... Oh, I am so proud of them. I love them to death. I do. I, I, I just want them to make millions because they've been around for so long. And it's obvious from from talking to uh, like Gran Akuma and a couple other guys on Twitter that these guys have been around forever and have been just looking for a chance. And now they're going to get it, I think. I think they're going to finally be able to blossom a little bit, even if it's under the radar. They, they don't have to be main eventers, but just be able to make some money and see a lot, have a lot of people see them do their thing. I am. Oh, I mean, think about this, like them doing the bits with dark order, right? Like, like these guys, these guys interacting with the dark order guys is going to be funny as hell. Yes. Yeah. I'm here for that. The rampage broadcast team was announced, uh, for the Friday night show. Uh, it's the scene from naked gun with like the 12 broadcasters in there, but four broadcasters, possibly Excalibur moving away from dynamite, which I think is a bad move, but yes, Excalibur, Mark Henry, Taz, and I hate that guy, Chris Jericho in all his Chris Jericho ness. Uh, Any thoughts on this rampage broadcast team, Chris? Oh my God! Can we can we try again? Like, like can, it, it, is can this be like poker where I am allowed to keep one card and put three back into the pile and then draw out again, uh, or and maybe only draw a couple cards back and just take my chances and hope I get like three of a kind? Uh, it, no, like th- this is not a commentary booth. I'm excited about Jericho at best will be a non-entity like like that there'll be so many different people in the booth talking that Jericho won't get a word in edgewise at worst he's going to be obnoxious and him and Taz aren't going to shut up or they're going to get sidetracked and start laughing about this or that um I I have real concerns that the action's not going to get called um I have real concerns that the story is not going to get told I know Excalibur is going to be doing his studied best on this but you know he really just needs to be bolstered by Taz, who is on his own an absolutely fine second man. He is mm-hmm. actually very, very good. Uh, it, he only gets in trouble when there is a third person in the booth and they get a little laughy. Um, yes. But outside of that, Taz is good at staying heel. He's good at knowing how to call action from a heel perspective. He knows how to add a little bit of grappling and submission style gravitas to the calls and the play-by-play. And like, you know, at the Excalibur calling the high-flying stuff, Taz can call the ground stuff. And like, that would be just fine. But you don't need Jericho. Who's the other person? Mark Henry. Mark Henry. Why do you need Mark Henry? I don't know. Uh, because eventually he's going to get one last run. I think I just, I, I, he's on, he's on serious on that show busted open. He's okay. I just, it, it, it takes what a certain would be amount like of his act, role. It, would he be like a heel ta- common? Yeah. You know, it, t- yeah, it takes a certain amount of acting to be a commentator. And I just, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Paul white surprised me. 
So maybe no, Mark but like Henry to your point, too. like the, like a commentary team is sort of like an improv troupe in a way. Yes, it, it, it's an improv troupe with sort of like designated roles in a way, like because you the, the you have bullet points in like. Here we go. go. Let's put Excalibur and 2.0 on commentary. For this no, show. I'm for, I'm for real. Like <laughs> I, I I actually almost said that when you first brought this up. Like, could we just do Excalibur and 2.0? Um, or yes. like you know. Yeah, no, like, because I would, uh, that would actually be better to me. It's like those two guys just sort of like chiming in as the heels and like, yeah, like they, they're may occasionally have a match or whatever, but like, you know, like that's their job is that they, they work. And, and yeah, as, as the they're heel the best, they're the best improv tag team I've ever seen in terms of, in terms of working with each other on, on promo. So yeah. Uh, okay. So we got, uh, we got the week that was plus one. Let's circle back to the one story that's kind of made the news a little bit and then just go on a kind of a lazy river of stuff that happened this week and close it out because we've spent a lot of time on the news already. Uh, so Nick Gage brings out a pizza cutter during his match with Chris Jericho last Wednesday. As we go to picture in picture, what should be what should be the primary ad that's gonna run at that time? Uh yes, you guessed it. Domino's Pizza. And then this third tier quote unquote news sto- site leaks a story about asking for Domino's for a response. And to me, this screams WWE looking to plant a story to try and get them. Or WWE fans trying to leak it to get a story. And I'm here to tell you, if it was the fan base that did it or WWE that did it, hypocrisy knows no bounds because on SmackDown that Friday, the company that that, that courts Snickers and Progressive Insurance are doing missionary sex jokes on, on the air. And, and, you know, physician heal thyself if you're pushing this family-friendly crap. Well, beyond that, Jeff, I, I mean, a wise man once said complaining is in conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they're not competition, then why are you bitching about them? How about that? How about that, kids? You know, yeah, do your thing. Okay, people who are competition to you, if you're confident in yourself and you're confident in your product or whatever that you want, you don't care what the other guy is doing. You're just out there being excellent. The wolf does not have any opinion on the on the on the emotions of the sheep. Okay, That's, I botched that cliche, but I don't care. I'm going with it. It, 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 it. I read this and it's like it was some weird like front row media type thing that I'd never heard of trying to push this story. And I'm going. I mean, this is brad shepherd territory to me this is just some dude who wants to make a name for himself pushing a story but it was obvious somebody was trying to plant it somewhere because it was pitched to different people apparently so it just screams dirty pool from the wwe which has done this type of thing before but there were no Domino's ads this week it was all little caesars you know i let's put it this way i mean when when the when the nexus angle happened and Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, whatever you want to call him, was caught choking Justin Roberts on camera with a tie. People went to Snickers and said, how do you support this kind of stuff? And Snickers threatened to drop them for a while. And that's why Daniel Bryan was released 
for a while after the at the, after the after that first Nexus breakdown. They've also complained to Snickers about the May Young classic type thing, or what was it? It was originally called something else. That there was a women's tournament or a women's battle royal. Oh, it was named after Moolah, and they and they went after because of her dealings with quote unquote prostitution and things. They went after her to the sponsors. If it's you guys doing it, mind your own business. If it's the companies doing it, be better. That's my opinion. Sticking to it, Chris. Yeah. Um. My my thought on this is, I think it ends up if if it is in fact that they've lost the sponsor. This serves as a bit of a learning moment for AEW, who uh, is flying high right now, but could, without being careful do something that undermines all their future success or like undermine, you know, you can shoot yourself in the foot and a blood spot when, especially like this sort of match was a very sort of extreme choice in a climate where people are still going to live events in masks. Um, there, there's a certain safety angle thing that I think AEW does need to be mindful of for the performers and also the people attending these live events. Um, because while I don't think it's necessarily the highest of high likelihoods, um, they're still going to be running these live events. And there is always the potential that one of these large assemblages of people serves as a super spreader event. And AEW needs to make sure that if that does happen, they are able to point at X, Y, Z, A1, A2, A3 of all of these different safety measures that they took kind of in anticipation of that, rather than look like they were maybe being reckless and flat-footed at a time. You don't want to get the vibe that people shop? get. What? <laughs> like a sloppy shop? Uh, yeah, like a, a sloppy shop. I mean, or even like, um, I mean, you started to see the way people are processing Lollapalooza now, right? Like the way Lollapalooza, yeah. And, and you don't, I mean, you might have an event that feels good at the time. And then three, four weeks later, kind of has like a less good vibe about it. Um, And AEW does need to be mindful of those sorts of things. And, you know, another thing is that as they are becoming a higher profile product um, and getting into a million plus people, um. The question needs to be asked, do they need to keep doing the blood and gutsy sort of matches? Um, and is the blood and gutsy sort of matches worth the squeeze here? Um, you know, I, I think that saving those for the pay-per-views and that sort of thing makes a lot more sense than running those on live TV where you're trying to do advertisers. On the pay-per-views, you don't have to worry about dominoes. On the pay-per-views, if you do the pizza cutter spot, it's not going to be juxtaposed against the Domino's ad because there's no Domino's ad to juxtapose it against. So hopefully, because I actually, I want AEW to overtake WWE at this point. I, I, my partisan cards are just squarely on the Chris, table. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you something too. Uh, and I posted this this week. It's like, uh, man, AEW can't sign anybody. And my reaction was, sign everybody, flood the thing, and put this other company out of business. I I am also, I look, but mine also goes back to, hey, they killed NWA and WCW twice for me. So I I have no problem with, with that. Look, I love my friends who work there. Don't get me wrong. But... I, I, I kind of want to see WWE suffer a little bit. I'm not going to lie. My partisan cards are on the table, too. 
Yeah, no, and I feel like I've, I've been trying, I've been analyzing this war objectively the whole way down. And I mean, I'm, I've never been saying, I'm, I've never been one to say that I think someone or like in a, like an election or whatever, I, that someone's going to win when it like there's just enough of a distance where it's not happening. Like AEW is within punching distance at 1.1 million, sustaining this for the better part of a month now and popping that number with some reliability. This is a and with with more cards in their deck, more cards yet to be played, more people potentially coming in. Um, dude, th- this company is in position to really keep building momentum. And the real question for WWE is like, who are you getting? You know, like who is WWE's big outside grab at this point? The are you? What, there's not like the wrestler tree that you just shake and out comes like the next big wrestler. You've got who you've got. You're either reheating Drew McIntyre for a third or fourth time here, or, you know. It's Brock. The answer is Brock. It's always going to be Brock. That, that, yeah, and, and, Brock, and they're going to discover that Brock's not going to do it this time around. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, for the weekly television, just a little bit of hitting around the uh, bases. Boy, both AEW and WWE really wanted to get into that Simone Biles business about mental health. And using that for heat, Chris, the floor is yours. Well, you know, okay, so the, the Simone Biles thing uh, and on the WWE side bolsters strongly your theory about Bray Wyatt. Because if you're greenlighting this promo for Charlotte about Simone Biles, it tells you the general corporate environment about not feeling so good about things. Uh, as though it's it's just merely that when it comes to Simone Biles. Um... Uh, it was bad, but then, you know, what we get to with Max Caster and the promo on Dark, I mean, it, it was what the promo on Dark, uh, this is actually, you know, kind of buttresses or segues very nicely off from my last point about how hopefully the Nick Gage and the pizza cutter moment is a slap across the face that you could screw this up in a big way in a heartbeat. Um, this promo on Dark with Max Caster, not just the Simone Biles thing, um, but uh, who's the other person he's been going after uh, in the promos uh, from the oh, Varsity Julia, Club? Julia, Julia Hart. Yeah, Julia Hart. I, I mean, there are any number of problematic lines in this. And this is a pre-taped show. So um, I remember how the wrestling community was processing the Jim Cornette commentary moment on NWA television months ago. And I want you to remember those emotions and recalibrate how you now feel about the AEW thing. And this should serve as another treatment of five across the eyes of Tony Khan, who seems to be processing it with some degree of seriousness here, that if you have something like this and you want to be the top show in television, buddy, and you run a problematic Simone Biles program or promo, you could get the media treatment on this. I don't know if you've watched cable news these days, but they don't necessarily always put things into the best context or fully tell the whole story on stuff. They focus in on one little cliplet and they beat it into the ground. And if they grabbed onto this Max Caster thing and gave it the August, we're bored and there's not a lot to talk about in the news right now, what is going on with problematic wrestling treatment for two and a half weeks? It could do a number on the booming numbers for AEW. So this should be yet another five across the eyes thing. I've liked Max Caster uh, in the past. Um, I think that he's got talent. I think he is good on the microphone. 
Um, I, I even think these slightly edgy promos have a place, but someone needs to be checking these, and clearly he can't be left to his own devices. I'm going to... I don't know. Like, Boomer Jeff knows about cheap heat, and he just kind of... I get that people are mad and things like that, and I, I kind of agree with them. For me, I, I want to bring this to you, Chris, because this is... Something I've been trying to think about because with this and even with like the Mrs. Cheap hometown sports team type of heat types of thing. I I don't I, I think wrestlers need to get back to healing on the performer they are in a feud with versus trying to get the crowd to heal on them necessarily. And I, I don't. I think that's become a bit of a lost art. I think it's now because we're in these arenas with full houses. It's like, well, I'm going to make all these people hate me for saying something that offends them as opposed to hating me for saying something bad about this opponent that I'm in a feud with right now in my promos. No, um, I actually I like this point and I kind of build off of it. I mean, I think if you want to critique Caster's rap promos, part of the issue, especially as of late, is he landed a few good topical jokes, whether they were about Andrew Cuomo or Rudy Giuliani um, or whatever the news of the day was, and he started going, oh, that's where the money is. I need to come up with more of these little topical Dennis Miller-style zingers and seed those into my raps on the way down to the ring. When really what needs to be happening more with the raps on the way down to the ring is Castor needs to be telling a story of some sort. There needs to be a, a story that binds what is happening in the match, what his motivation is going into this match, why he is here. It's it's an opportunity for him to insert additional beats of dialogue um, that are at a premium on a wrestling show. So while the topical lines, maybe having one of them per promo is good to pop the audience or be an attention grabber at the beginning of it. After you get it as an attention grabber, it needs to re that should be like the second stanza or whatever. It needs to refocus in as to what Max is doing in the ring and who he's going up against tonight. Um, so that's the other problem. I mean, like we, you could go through this entire promo. And it's like line after line of problematic material. And none of these lines that are problematic really do a whole lot to advance the actual story that is going on leading into the match either. My one other note from the main roster this week, Nikki A.S.H. This is terrible. This is, she's being made to look foolish. She's getting banana peel wins. She's a superhero who's hitting people with a chair. <laughs> They're taking this title off of her at SummerSlam, I think. Or she's getting a banana peel finish and she's going to lose to Alexa. I, I, I don't, it's one of those two. I mean, are we going to yank the title from her at SummerSlam and give it to Rhea or Charlotte and she takes the fall? Or are we going to have her lose to Alexa? But overall, this superhero thing, she's she's almost a superhero, but she's not almost super-powered. You know, she's getting killed every week, and you're just like, Well, this is okay, but having superpowers is binary, Jeff. I'm sorry. If you're almost a superhero, that means you have none powers. It, it's it, You have to be a superhero to have superpowers. So she's very close to that. 
And maybe at SummerSlam, she actually switches to Nikki SH and like kills Rhea and Charlotte with her brain lasers. <laughs> I was not ready for that. That's not fair. Thank God I wasn't drinking. I'm here for brain lasers in wrestling. It's pure. That would be pure WWE. I mean, that that would just be. I mean, after all the well, no, and that'd be perfect for the match with Alexa. So Alexa's got the doll, but Nikki's using her brain lasers at the doll to kill the doll. Like you know, I mean, this this is WWE stuff. That this, this is bre- the wrestling fans love this. Uh, I know this. Uh, so Nikki Ash, to your point, I, I mean, it's cheesy. I, I think that it maybe has a little bit of connection with, with the younger kids, maybe in the live audiences, but like the adults basically across the board don't like it. And they're not even enjoying it enough to courteously cheer for it. Really? Like they, they, you know, they're not going to boo it outright, but when you saw the CM Punk promos flare up, it wasn't one of them for Nikki ASH. Uh, didn't, didn't they get one of the punk promos? Or the punk uh, chance? Yes. So I mean, and, oh, yeah. that tells that tells you that, that to me is not we want CM Punk. That's we're bored. Um, people are saying CM Punk is we're bored. Yeah, and that's adults. I think kids could get behind this, but nobody wants to root for a superhero who doesn't kick ass. Nobody. I mean, it's look. They will give this four weeks tops. So we're on week two or three already. So one more week. Of Nikki Cross, Nikki Ash, whatever you want to call her, doing banana peel finishes. She's gonna beat Rhea Ripley like this too somehow. I think. But kids eventually want to see progress in our superhero, are almost a superhero, and so you have to get rid of the A eventually. I, I agree there. I, I just don't know how long they're gonna say that. WWE doesn't do progress in their characters. They don't. Once you're a character, you are that character, and you do not grow necessarily until you become a different character of sorts. So I don't think we're getting the quote-unquote hero's journey, for lack of a better term, with Nikki Ash here. I think we're just gonna get she's she's you know she tries hard and she wants to be a good role model for the kids, and that's gonna be it. And she's I mean, the other problem the too is the making Rhea Ripley cool again project is happening concurrently with Nikki Ash. So, mm-hmm. if you are a fan watching this show and you're looking at the women's side of the Raw ledger, who is a cooler, more relatable baby face? Nikki Ash, a grown woman who thinks that she's almost a superhero because she's wearing a butterfly mask. Or Rhea Ripley, who looks like, you know, she goes to metal shows and might like bands you like, or at least no bands that you like. Yeah, at least be cool in the zeitgeist type of thing, you know? Yeah, I I, I want to I just go on and finish. And so NXT, go with the weaker of my two points, and then we're going to finish strong here, I think, of ranting. We are going to rant about this last thing, Chris. You have already given a bit of a teaser for it. But first, so the main event is love her or lose her. Gargano pins Dexter Loomis and screw the stipulation, love wins out. If any week, 
constitutes NXT being called the main roster with yellow ropes. This, this was it. And my God, we, we don't am I, am I just clarify this for me? Cause you're a little bit better with like the message boards and like that part of it is index actually over with anyone other than Beth friggin Phoenix. No, no, because it, it's, it's high school romance crap. It's supposed to be funny, but it's not. It doesn't get to a lot of comedy. The best part of the comedy here are Gargano and Candace's reactions to this ridiculousness. We we <laughs> we don't get the drama of her being taken away and losing this and actually overcoming to get the story that they should be telling. No, screw the step. <laughs> it's love now, and this is going to be a different kind of cringy comedy. That's what we're going to get out of this. Yeah, and, and I mean, but here's the worst part. What would have been so much more fun is Loomis wins the match, and now he's forced to be part of the Gargano family. That, yes. like, Johnny has this forced upon him rather than yes. Indy runs away from the family. Like, it, it's he's, the, the money the with these people is all in the yes. interaction. It's not in the wrestling. The comedy is making things more uncomfortable. And so you bring in Lou and try, yes, drama solves problem. Comedy makes problems worse. That's, that's a lesson for all you screenwriters out there who might be out there. Comedy is bringing in Loomis to be the creepy uncle in this family. And depending on whether or not Austin theory has been brought up or not, having him have to interact with him at family dinners and outings and things like that. When he doesn't really like this Dexter Loomis character, that is going to be good comedy. I, I, this was inexplicable to me, this choice. There, this there's choice. any number of different improvisational situations that you can put Johnny, Candace, Austin, Dexter, and Indy in, those five, and, and result in like very funny scenarios where Loomis is really trying to charm Johnny and it's not working. Or like, you know, like, like Loomis is you know, really trying to embrace being part of a family. Or like, or Loomis and the Indy are having drama this week and Johnny and Candace see as an opportunity to try to drive the wedge and it doesn't work. Or like, or you know. Candace, Candace and Johnny have a bit of an issue. So Indy comes and goes, hey, let me talk to you about my relationship and how that's working out. The visual of the five of them in a car with Johnny sitting bitch in the back seat is what I want, really. That that this thing is ripe for actual good comedy. And instead, instead we're getting getting the love story. But speaking of bad comedy, Chris, now we get to the main event of bad comedy, of outdated tropes, of 1984 bad comedy sex comedies or whatever you want to call it. Zoe Stark and Io Shirai, by the way, only one of two tag teams really remaining in, in NXT for this women's division because, oh yeah, they broke up Raquel and, <laughs> and her partner. And, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to find out what's going on with uh, Jesse Kamea. And Frankie Monet, nope, off to SmackDown, riding a tank, shooting things into people's groins. That's what Knox. Oh, yeah, that's true. Know. But like Kamea and Monet, I guess, are a team now. Maybe, perhaps. Don't know. Seems like they might be on the verge of a split because of Robert Stone. Who knows? But 
American who doesn't understand sushi restaurants. I've never been to a sushi restaurant because I don't like sushi. I get the premise, but the bad jingoistic humor in this entire sketch. The pun- look, the punchline of I'm from Kansas, kind of cute. But this sketch in all, I. why are we not past the bickering tag partners after they've won the tag titles? That's my, That's part of it. All this sketch needed was Mickey Rooney from Breakfast at Tiffany's doing a bad stereotypical Asian person of some kind. You know, th- this thing, this thing was a relic of a relic of a relic in terms of comedy, in terms of just bad racial humor, which, you know, I, it doesn't offend me as much as other people, don't get me wrong, but it, it was it was a lame way out of it. They, they, they could have done something with this. There are clever premises within this premise one could do if you just sat down and brainstormed it a bit. But it makes Zoe Stark look stupid too, which is which is the real crime of this sketch. Yeah. So first and foremost, I I will start here because I think it really does matter and colors everything else. This skit's biggest crime, of which it's guilty of, like death penalty, convicted at the Hague, war tribunal stuff. Uh, it's it's terribly unfunny. Like from yes. beginning to beginning to end, it is it is criminally unfunny. The the nothing lands. No one is good at delivering their jokes. The lines aren't that good, but they're not delivered well either. Um, it is not a funny joke. It trades. Uh, Jeff has gone at length about the ancient premises that it's sort of like working on. <laughs> um, I want I want to ruminate on that a little bit further though because I think that those. Uh, ancient premises that it's living in actually undermine Zoe Stark here in a substantial way. In that Zoe yes. Stark is trying to be a good friend to Io Shirai, right? I want to get to know you better. I'm really committed to this project. Let's go out and get Japanese food. Um, you pick the restaurant, EO picks the restaurant or whatever, but Zoe Stark, who apparently has never had Japanese food before, doesn't bother to study Japanese food on any level prior to going to the Japanese food restaurant. So how committed to the project earnestly are you of connecting with Io Shirai as a person or are you just doing it because it's your job because you're tag team champions now um it which is deeply undermining that's obviously not the intention but like Zoe's reactions and like all the like laugh lines for Zoe were all like I've never even heard of Japan sort of things um which is <laughs> asinine for like a wrestler to be saying on some level but like she likes looking at these two sticks like what do I do with these do, do, do. because you can't have that at a chinese restaurant in any way and so obviously she's never been to any kind of chinese restaurant i just i just want the line i was look i was in a basement until i was 23 i didn't even know there was a japan until i either that or the my mother homeschooled me and she was very bad at it or or do you remember the the it was a terrible sketch on Saturday Night Live. 
when Farley was still on, but he was on the Japanese game show, and all he kept yelling was, I'm not Japanese! I don't understand any of this! That would have been funnier, even ripping that off, than this. Zoe Stark is trying to be nice and trying to make EO comfortable. EO is being just a total bitch to this woman. And, you know, it's almost and, like... And, or, or another way of reading this, though, Jeff, is she's actually reading the situation right in that, like, this is a classic Andrew? gaijin, white, yeah, white person trying to be cool, but hasn't actually, like, done any of the real homework. You know what I mean? Like, if you're going to go to the Japanese restaurant with the Japanese person, like, look at, like, what a menu is before you go there. You know what I mean? So that you don't look like an absolute total ass. Like if you, if you're really worried about the chopsticks thing, work on your chopsticks technique at home before you go out. But like, if this overture of friendship is really a serious thing, I don't know, like EO's standoffishness to me actually read as appropriate, but it shouldn't have. So on that point, I'm with you. Here's how you resolve this in, in a way. Next week, EO offers to take Zoe to an American restaurant but EO gets dressed up in the worst cowboy getup ever. <laughs> and they go to a steakhouse or something, and she's just doing the worst Texas accent ever. <laughs> this is what you Americans do, right? <laughs> she tries to get the porterhouse with chopsticks next week. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. yes. Or, I will eat the 85-pound steak because that's what we do in America. The only way to work this out at this point is to just bend this to both of them are idiots when it comes to food. That they're both yes. actually equally as stupid when it comes to, like, food items. I don't know. Even the interaction between EO and, and the waitress, I was just like, okay, these, these are stiff. I didn't like the whole, oh, we're all best. You know, like, I actually thought the whole language, it was either EO being a jerk and using this person as a prop or... Yeah. I don't think that's how it was being written. It was just being done as like, well, of course, two Japanese speakers will immediately have a super close bond because they both speak Japanese. You think we're friends because we can speak the other language? What's your problem, Zoe? Star- you know, you could turn that on them and just, you know, you'd really, I don't know. You 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 got to make things worse, but this was not making things worse for comedy's sake because nobody wants to see Zoe Stark have issues with Io Shirai. They are tag team champions and they are both baby faces. And she is probably your hottest woman in your division in terms of wins, losses, and momentum. Why the hell would you make want to make her look stupid? So we that's another part of comedy is we want to see the people get their come up. And this is punching down in a lot of ways. Zoe Stark is not high society. She doesn't have some air of foo-foo-ness in her. If you just if you made it good-natured misunderstanding, it'd be a lot more funny and charming, and we'd like the team, but this is just mean-spiritedness. They're not bonding. And, 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 no. and, I mean, like, I get the whole thing of, like, it's tough for them to bond, but, like, I, I, here's another way of handling the waitress, right? Like, so EO and the waitress have an exchange in Japanese. It seems like they're friendly. Afterwards, Zoe goes, oh, are you guys friends? And EO goes, no, she's actually kind of annoying. Like, 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 like that, like essentially EO reveals that like she had a rather unpleasant EO's, interaction. EO's just a jerk. EO's just yeah. a jerk to everybody kind of thing. But uh, this is the type of thing that ends up 
being resolved in, oh, it's a bar fight. And the two then respect each other, you know, in the action movie where you have, you know, the, the person who does things by the book being teamed with the, the, the you know, the, the, the great soldiers and the prisoners are together in the bar to bond before they go overseas to kill Nazis and stuff. But, oh, there's lumberjacks locals who don't like them. This is actually the Devil's Brigade, so I'm quoting that. And so they all bond after months of tension of training by beating up these local lumberjacks and stuff. And that's going to happen with EO. The problem is we don't need to see them bond and overcome adversity because, hey, they're already the tag team champions. What, what are we doing here, guys? This is just, this is cutting them off at the knees as champions, in my opinion, too, which is a even bigger crime. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I, I really, if anything, they really need to be past this part of it. And, like, they should be bonding over, at minimum, they should have a bond over wrestling. And where we, we should always start at, Bond over wrestling, Zoe tries to expand this bond into friendship and other things. And if it doesn't work, they at least can retreat back to they've got this wrestling bond that ties yeah, them they're together. Profes- they're professionally courteous to one another. They're, they don't have to be best buddies. They don't have to hang out. They don't have, I mean, you can counteract them with Casey and, and Lacey or whatever her name is now. I always forget it. You know that. But, you know, the the, the munchkin land tag team that's never going to win the titles in nxt you know who are who always seem who are always hugging and oh we're so smart it's just those two and we finish each other's sentences sentences yeah you just just you and and zoe look at it goes you two are both gross and (laughs) so much but yeah, it's going to do it for us. We've ranted enough. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow Chris at DWATG. If you just want to follow the show, it is at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. We are part of the Voices of Wrestling, Voices of Wrestling Network. You can watch us on their YouTube channel. You want to see our reactions to each other. If you want to see Chris's cats try and cook each other on his stove during the thing. Chris also has a Patreon where he does political commentary called Don't Worry About the Government. He's going to qu- He's going to plug it for you at this time. Yeah, don't worry about the government. You can find it on don'tworry.tv at patreon.com slash DWATG to watch it. Uh, you know, we mentioned earlier in the show uh, the unfortunate split screen involving Domino's Pizza and AEW, but there was another equally unfortunate split screen this week tied into the news uh, where Andrew Cuomo is on one screen and on the other screen is a Google ad that says trying to find a new career uh yeah pitching him so that, that was a good little moment we'll be talking about uh governor cuomo's issues along with uh other governor's woes as it was on the next episode of don't worry about the government so uh, go and check that out don't worry.tv i'm at dwatg if you want to go and follow me on twitter and uh possibly next week a little special audio after the show i will for those because people have asked me these questions i will review the suicide squad movie for all of you